WNJHD, Millville, Atlantic City, 97.3 ESPN. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. All right, hour two of the Sports Bash brought to you by Matt Black Kia. They want to get you approved today. Matt Black Kia, 6211. Black Horse Bike, Egg Harbor Township. I'm Mike Gill. That's Hunter Brody. It's Mike and Broads here on Tuesday. Tomorrow, Flyers, 3 o'clock. You like the 3P? Yeah, I'm okay with it. Hmm. I don't like a playoff game in the afternoon. Well, I don't have to wait until 7 o'clock, 3 o'clock. I wake up. It's like, all right, playoff hockey. No? Nah, I don't like a 3 o'clock afternoon, you know, uh, in the afternoon Wednesday playoff game. It just doesn't, like, I forget these games are on. You know, a lot of people talking about, like, um, the, the NBA ratings and stuff. And... I don't know that they're taking into account that some of these games are on at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. Well, you know how that works. They look for their agenda because they want to make it seem like people aren't watching for a certain reason. Right. I tried to have this conversation. I said, you know, the, the games are on at noon, 3. You're not going to get any ratings at noon and 3. The games at night have been the number one rated stuff. How about LeBron with that three-pointer last night? Just walks up to the logo. How about the whole... Yesterday is Kobe Bryant Day, eight twenty four. Yeah, that was and crazy. And the Lakers are winning twenty four to eight at one point. I mean, how does that happen? It's so crazy. It's chilling. It really is crazy, isn't it? Yeah. But how about that? The whole Blazer situation. People thought maybe they'd be able to make that run as the eighth seed, and you see what happens when you have LeBron James and the Lakers play their best. It must be because of Frank Vogel, right? I'm sure. Is that why? I'm imagining. Because of their head coach? You know, Frank Vogel is the perfect example of the NBA coach and how, you know, minor of a of an effect they have. He's in Indiana. Good coach. I mean, no one's like, oh, my God, this guy Vogel's great. Good coach. And he ends up getting fired. He goes to Orlando. People thought he was a bad coach. Team stunk. You know why? It's stinky players. He was in Indiana. He was an okay coach. You know why? He had okay players. Goes to L.A. All of a sudden, Vogel's pretty good. I guess he is. He's got freaking LeBron James and Anthony Davis. I'd be pretty good. That's the moral of the story. I mean, yeah, the coach is, he has an importance. He has a role. But Frank Vogel, I think, is the perfect. He's been on three teams. A good team, a bad team, and a really good team. And he's been a good coach, a bad coach, and a really good coach. I think, it's just the way it goes. Yeah, no doubt. And I think one of the, the people you nailed on yesterday when we had this conversation was Doc Rivers. You know, because Doc Rivers is looked at as a very respected coach, as he should be. I think he is good at what he does for what he brings to the table. But look what's happening. Paul George underperforming. They're tied 2-2 two to two in the series. Is Paul is um, Doc Rivers now not a great coach because the team isn't taking care of business like they should? Or is that because... Well, let's look at Paul George underperforming. Let's look at these players on the court. They have Kawhi Leonard. They have this talent. Maybe it's because Paul George and the guy that you paid to rely on isn't being effective out there on the floor. Um, yeah, well, obviously. Look, and, and by the way, um, the whole – that game tonight is uh, Luka and uh, the Clippers um, – the Mavericks and the Clippers. I couldn't even remember what team Luka Doncic was on for a second there. But, you know, it just goes to show how big the star players are. And even the secondary players sometimes get over – how overshadowed they get by the stars. You know what I mean? Like, 
this like no Porzingis the other night. I mean, he's not playing again tonight, Porzingis, but he doesn't play the other night, and they still figure out a way to win that game. That's when you know you have a super duper star. When you're at another another level is when you can win without your secondary guy out there. You know, you have Paul George score two points. You, you know what happened to that guy? <laughs> he's a playoff P. Not being able to step up. Hey, look at uh, Oklahoma City, too. What uh, They win. They tie that series up two games to two. And they, you know, people thought basically that that team was nothing. I mean, that they were basically throwing the season away. They get Chris Paul, and people thought they were going to get him and flip him right back off. Would you trade Ben Simmons for Chris Paul? Nah, I mean, I mean, if you're talking about a prime Chris Paul, maybe I consider it, but not 36-year-old Chris Paul. I agree. It's one of the most laughable trades that I consistently hear. Well, and, you know, we just heard what Bruce Bowen said. We heard what Bobby Mark said yesterday. When given the choice of which guy to keep, um, Ben Simmons or Joel Embiid, both of them said they would keep Ben Simmons because Joel, you know, and look, I'm a big fan of Joel, but you're allowed to be critical of Joel, and I think what Bobby Mark said yesterday rings kind of true. How many times are we going to see this? You know, how many times are we going to keep giving this guy the benefit of the doubt? He is starting to frustrate me to the point where I get it. I love watching Joel play. He's so much fun. I think he's a transcendent talent. The problem with him being a transcendent talent and being like an all-time great player is I don't know that he'll be remembered because of the problems, of the injuries and then the inconsistencies because he's out of shape. I mean, all that stuff. It just bothers me that Joel and Bay can't see the forest through the trees that, hey, if I just put a little more effort and work into this, I could be an all-time great. That's what bothers me. Ben Simmons bothers me because... <laughs> And he puts the work in. That's the bothersome. He does work on his craft, and then he works on it, works on it, works on it, and then he doesn't want to see if the fruits of his labor play out in a game situation. That's frustrating as hell. No doubt. And I don't think it's a knock on Joel Embiid to say that you would choose Ben Simmons over him. I think really what that tells you is how great Ben Simmons can really be at the end of the day. They're both great players. They both have great individual talent. So to say that you choose Ben Simmons over him, that shouldn't be a knock on Joel Embiid at all. It's just the nature of where the game is at when it comes to the year 2020, the style the game's played. It's it's fine to go down that road. I don't think that you should look at Joel Embiid any differently or look down upon him because you think that Ben Simmons might be the better option. It's just how the game is played. If that question was asked to you in 1950, you'd go with Joel Embiid. No doubt. Not even a question. Although, back in 1950, Ben Simmons would be the tallest guy on the floor, and he'd be a center, too. You're right. He probably would be. Yeah, there would be no perimeter to scream, shoot the ball exactly. from. He would just be, you'd just be pounding it low to him in the post. Uh, we're going to be doing NFC East previews this hour. Jordan Ronan on the Giants in about uh, seven minutes from now. John Keim on Washington at 345. Let's play a couple anytime hotline calls. Brett Brown fired yesterday. Reaction from the fans. About the Brett Brown situation, I kind of like the move. I think this has been highly anticipated by Sixers fans for the last three years. But I just want to know your opinion. Do you think that this is it for changes? Because according to Woj, this isn't it. They're going to start from the ground up, uh, work with the front office left over by Colangelo. But what would you see the next move for the Sixers squad going into next season? What would you see the move going into the Sixers side? I would say, okay, real quick to answer this question because we're coming up against it, but you are making phone calls to all the teams that signed the bad contracts last year, right? That's your first move. Al Horford, 
Who do you want to get rid of off your roster? Can we get a match? I would have to agree, but I wonder if the first move is more front office moves than the actual contract moves. And and how much is in play that they don't really know when the next season's going to begin? How much does that affect this whole entire offseason? Do we know when the next season is specifically going to start? Do we know when these moves can start being made? I mean, there's so much that's happening at the moment. That's a big point. And then I don't know. I would imagine it's easier to trade Horford than it is Harris. But I don't even know what trading Harris would do for this team if you're still stuck with Horford. As much as I don't think Tobias has worked that contract, when it comes to fit, and I use air quotes because the fit is just all over the place, Tobias Harris can at least work as a stretch four. Al Horford doesn't work at all with Joel Embiid, who's going to be logging 30-plus minutes. So does moving Tobias Harris even really benefit? Well, the whole thought process of getting Al Horford of like, Joel's going to miss 20 games, you know, and our backup center position was such a problem last year. So it was almost like the Sixers, they put more into like – it was almost like Kawhi Leonard left, and it was like, ah, forget about the Raptors. That's like, you know, they get Al Horford. Why? Because he can defend Giannis Antetokounmpo, and he defends Joel Embiid. He gave him problems. So let's just weaken them in that area and bring them to our side. Like, they didn't take anything into roster construction under consideration. They just, like, tried to I, – I, I can't understand what they were thinking. But guess what? I think a lot of us thought, okay, they're just really big and it's going to be a problem for other teams. That never worked out. It did not. But moving on from Tobias and keeping Horford, I don't know if that's the best move for this team. you got to find a way to move Horford. That's the big issue. Tobias at least fits in an, in, a, in a position on the court. Al Horford doesn't fit at a position other than center. No, I think they miscalculated him as a stretch four. You think? Big time. Sports Pass brought to you by GMS Law. Make the right call for convenient locations to serve you online. GMSLaw.com. Coming up, how are the Giants going to be under new head coach Joe Judge? Danny Dimes, is he going to take a big step forward? We'll ask NFL Nation Giants reporter Jordan Ronan from ESPN's NFL Nation next. Gil Hunter Brody, and uh, it's NFC East Day. We are doing a large preview of all the teams. Tim McManus earlier will have the post up on our website of all of the NFC East interviews today. Tim McManus joined us in the last hour. Jordan Ronan on the Giants coming up. Washington, John Kime, ESPN NFL Nation. And at 5.30 tonight, it's Todd Archer on the Cowboys. Don't forget football at 4 with Andrew DiCecco. We'll go deeper into a lot of the Eagles news that is happening today and uh, all this week at training camp as we, uh, you know, this Giants team, we're going to talk to Jordan about, uh, you talked about Joe Judge the other day. Now, my buddy's a Giant fan. He loves it. Oh, he loves it? Loves Judge. Now, is that one of those, oh, we love hardworking guys? Like You know how we talk about the Philly guy? Is that just someone falling in love with the New York guy? Um, I don't know because... Um, it's well, in, they it's had intriguing, some, they had right? some flimsily weak coaches exactly. up there recently. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. It's almost intriguing because of what they had in that city for the last couple of, you know, 10 years, if you will. Would you like that if there was a new coach in Philly? Take Doug P out of it, whatever. You get a new coach in here, and he's having the guys run laps after making mistakes. Does that get you interested? Or are you thinking, what the hell is wrong with this guy? Um, No, I don't. I mean, I, I think it's um, you're you're – you're playing with the You're type. You're playing with some yeah, fire. There, yeah, right? no doubt. I agree with that. Let's see how it shapes up. I mean, it, it's an interesting hire, and 
we just don't know. We just don't know how he's going to play out. Yeah, and, and I, like it's funny because I said you like the guy Judge, and I said you know what, dude, I'm liking this. I like the guy. I like how he's you know he's tough on the players. You know, and it's what I said the other day is all of these Belichick guys have kind of like failed as coaches. None of them have really been a success. No, Vrabel, but you know he he might be the one that stands out compared to the others, and he's having some good run. But his philosophy is different. He, while he is tough, he's one of the guys. He's one of like he's one of the group. Bill Belichick isn't part of the group. Mike Vrabel is part of the, the, the 53. He's getting his hands in the dirt in practice. It's a different style than what Bill Belichick brought to the table. No doubt, but that's the thing. It's like, is there the one guy that slips through the crack and becomes the good, the one that's the great well, one? Well, at, at some point, like there's going to be so many guys, one will hit. But I'm saying, but like, there's always the... Um, you know the student that ends up beating, like Belichick, ended up getting becoming better than Parcells. Is Judge the one that ultimately becomes better than? I hope not. See, I always feel Belichick. like there's a reason why no one has yet. While Andy Reid teaches the enemy, Doug Peterson, all these guys that are part of his tree. Does Bill Belichick give out all the information to his assistant coaches? Does he want them to know the secret sauce? I feel like he doesn't. And that's why you see what you see with these coaches that come out from under his tree. He doesn't give them all the information. He keeps it for himself so he can continue to dominate the league. And that's the difference. Andy Reid's making sure he's giving all the information to the guys because he wants to genuinely see them succeed. But Bill Belichick, he doesn't care what other guys do. He just wants to win. Yeah, that's been kind of like, well, the thought was that he controls so much that he doesn't delegate a lot, you know, where... It's funny, Brett Brown said something the other day that kind of stood out to me, is that he's got, what, three head coaches that have come from his tree. You have a team that lost 72 games, you know, 60, they lost, they were what, 47 and 199 or something like that, and three head coaches have come from the Brett Brown tree. And that's why I'm interested in an assistant coach over these big names. I think that there are some good coaches. Out All these coaches come from somewhere, right? And you look at Monty Williams, you look at Lloyd Pierce, like they're out there, they're making a name for themselves in their respected spots. I'm okay with going after someone who's not a big name, who's not super flashy, because there's a ton of assistant coaches out there that just haven't had their opportunity yet that I'm willing to take a chance on over a, hey, I heard Stan Van Gundy talk on the ESPN broadcast about a pick and roll. You know, I mean, come on. People get so fascinated with hearing these guys talk where, oh, he knows his basketball. I'll go with the assistant. I'm I'm cool with going down that road. That will be something that um you know I'm okay with if they if they do do that. Yeah, well, uh, I'm interested. Once um you know this Giants team, which has been terrible for what the last couple of years now, you're going on to about and they had the one good year a couple of years ago. Then the boat thing, the boat. Oh yeah, OBJ went right. out on the boat before the playoff game. Yep, that was like the last time I can remember them being halfway decent. Other than that, they have been horrible. But with that being horrible means they've stockpiled some players. Saquon Barkley, um, you know, obviously Jones, the quarterback. You know, I wonder if now with the new coach and all this young talent, do they think that this team is ready to kind of be one of those surprise teams? You know, I don't think many people are buzzing about the Giants, but at what point does one of these teams, somebody usually jumps out in the NFL and becomes that surprise team? How many teams in the league have that surprise look about them? I wonder if the Giants up there, do they think this is one? 
I don't know if the offensive line is strong. That's their big knock, right? I mean, you got to, well, when you have Daniel Jones back there instead of Eli Manning, you have the escapability factor compared to when Eli was back there, of course. But I don't know. Do they have that offensive line to be able to keep him upright? And when I look at this team, you know how you, you got to realize your expectations heading into the season. If you're a New York Giants fan, do you look at this expectation of the team and go 5-11? and 11? If you're a Giants fan and you see them go 5-11, and 6-10, and 10, are you okay with that type of season and, and hopefully improve from there? I mean, I can't expect them to be winning eight football games and going 500 this season, would you? I don't know. Um, no, I mean, I think, well, I six think... Six wins, 6-10? and 10? I think most people think that the Giants are still, I want to say, a dumpster fire. You know, they got a second-year quarterback that you don't know a whole heck of a lot about, right? He played... He had a good start, and then he kind of fizzled out a little bit. But still, as a rookie, 24 touchdowns, 12 interceptions, 3,000 yards. Had a pretty good year last year. You know, you got Barkley, who, you know, right now is probably a top three, four, if, five yeah. running back in the league. Yep. The question is, what do they have at wide receiver? Uh, Shepard, I don't know that he's like a, a bona fide number one. And then after him, Slayton, and you got Tate, who's a solid guy. Slayton's but- good. They, no, they're, yeah. they're they have like a bunch of like number twos and yeah. threes. Yeah, it's okay. It's not the worst case in the world with those wide receivers. They were four and twelve last year. So if you're looking at this from a Giants fan's perspective, would six and ten satisfy you? A little bit of a jump, you get a couple extra wins in there, six and ten, and maybe you build off that. I mean, is that reasonable to go into the season with that type of mindset? Yeah, I think that's fair, right? Well, that's we'll fair. Uh, get into it now. Jordan Ronan, ESPN's NFL Nation, covers the Giants. And uh, we will uh, get his take. Remember, they got Jason Garrett now. He's the play caller there. So I'm very intrigued. Like, Jordan, I'm interested. This team has been so bad, which means they stockpiled a lot of talent, I guess, over the last couple of years. Does this Giants team have the look of one of those teams that could be a surprise this year? Well, it depends how you qualify surprise, right? I mean, you, you expecting them to win the division? I'd be really surprised if they won the division at this point. I mean, they're... They're in they're in the midst of a rebuild, right? At least now, I think that where they're at, like you said, they've stockpiled talent. Yeah, they picked top uh, what was it, top six three years in a row now. So you should have some pretty good players from that, and, they, and you hope that they do. At least from their standpoint, you got Saquon Barkley, Daniel Jones, and now Andrew Thomas is their left tackle. So what do you see there? You see three picks, and then if you want to go back a year earlier, Evan Ingram. That's four straight top picks used on what? offensive players. So their offense should be pretty good. They should have an improved offense. Even with the you know, three of them last year, the offense was bottom half of the league. The hope is that you now have enough players where this team can have a dangerous quality offense, especially if Daniel Jones is a real deal. That's really what this is all contingent on, right? If Daniel Jones is the real deal, the Giants could be pretty good. If Daniel Jones is not the re- or the real deal, the Giants are going to be rebuilding for the next you know two, three, four, five years. Yep, that's uh, you know that's a good way to put it. And you saw Jones a lot last year. You know, twenty four touchdowns, doubled up two to one, three thousand yards. Seemed like he got out of the gate hot, kind of fizzled out a little bit here. What is your uh, anticipation? Is he closer to the real deal, or do you think he might be just a guy? I think Daniel Jones has proven to us that he's the quality starting caliber quarterback in the NFL, which when you realize as a rookie, if you're able to reach that level as a rookie, that's pretty good. I mean, that means you're on the right track. I mean, most rookies don't come in and tear apart the league. You know, I mean, the, no, not, there's not many Patrick Mahomes as I know as he wasn't a rookie, but your first year as a starter, you come in and you make the league look like they, you know, they don't know what they're doing. So 
I think you saw enough to be optimistic that Daniel Jones can turn into that top-level quarterback. Now, I'm not sure he's ever going to be a top-five quarterback, but I'm, I feel pretty good that Daniel Jones could be in that top-ten range caliber quarterback. And, and really, what was Eli Manning? He was exactly that. He was that top-ten caliber range quarterback. There's no year that Eli Manning was in the running for all-pro. Like he wasn't a top three, top five, even most almost every year of his career quarterback. But the Giants won two Super Bowls with a top ten caliber quarterback. So it's good enough to have. That's a good enough quarterback to have and win around. That's what I think. I you could feel pretty good about having with the New York Giants. I mean, of course, who knows if he's ever going to have the career of Eli Manning? But I I think he can be in that range of quarterback. What are your thoughts on Joe Judge to this point? And, and I want to get your thoughts on him forcing the team and coaches yeah. to run. Do, do they make the media run? Are you running out there? How does this work? I run on my own. Come on. I, I, I got to keep from getting fat around here, you know? <laughs> but, I mean, if I ran for every mistake I've made, you know, I'd be running way too often. I, 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 there's a limit to these things, you know? No, but seriously, uh, Joe Judge is bringing – he warned everybody. He came in in that – introductory press conference said i'm going to be you know i'm going to bring this old school mental physical mentality uh we're going to be tackling in practice and guess what the giants have been doing they have an old school mentality the coaches are yelling f-bombs are flying left and right i mean i'm it's not uncommon it's multiple times of practice where you hear uh six seven eight nine expletives in the same sentence uh you know they're getting coached hard Joe Judge is bringing it. It's you know the whole the old Bill Belichick Nick Saban playbook, but the key is what is Joe Judge's twist going to be on it? Is he going to be able to pull back at the right times? Make sure the veterans don't get alienated because look, that's what happens when coaches ride guys too hard, don't know how to handle it. Uh, it's happened to a lot of Belichick disciples of the past. Uh, Matt Patricia, Josh McDaniel, Eric Mangini, uh, you know, they come in and they try and be Belichick, but guess what? They don't have those handful of rings to flash in guys' faces, and players won't just automatically default to whatever they say. They, play, they need to earn the players' trust. So that's what Joe Judge is dealing with here. Now, what I think works in his favor a little bit, this is not a normal year. This is basically a two-week training camp, 14 days of padded practices, and boom, it's over, right? And then you sit there and you go back into regular season mode. It's not the normal year where it's like six weeks, you know, seven weeks, and the coach can ride the players for like months, and by the end of training camp, they want to kill them, right? But this being so short, I think that actually works to his benefit with the approach he's bringing right now. It's interesting you bring up losing the veterans because I was going to ask, you know, how effective do you think this method could be? Do you sense that he has a good feel of, hey, let's relax a bit, or is he constantly just going 100%? Well, I've gotten to know Joe Judge well enough, I think, over the last, I don't know, I guess he's been hired eight months ago at this point almost, uh, to understand that, especially compared to Mosco, you have to understand, NFL coaches (laughs) – are a rare breed, right? They're, this is an interesting job. These guys live it. They sleep it. They like barely see their families. Uh, a lot of them are almost like 
kind of introverts. They're football guys. It's like, you know, the people, you know, the bar stools of the world, like a joke. And it's true. A lot of these guys are like that. I met so many head coaches. They're not, they're just socially awkward in general. But I get the feeling from, you know, talking with Joe Judge and interacting with him, he has that human element to him, which I think can serve him well. And that's really going to be the key for him. Is is he going to be able to walk that fine line and pull it back in and rein it back in when he needs to write. Chip Kelly was a guy you guys know down there. I, I got to know Chip a little bit also. Uh, like I said, these coaches are strange birds in general as human beings and their social interactions. He didn't have that interpersonal skill to be able to, to talk to guys and pull them back in and have guys, you know, be on board for him, even though he rode them hard. Like, so it's, it's a really fine, delicate balance, and very few guys are able to do it. I mean, Tom Coughlin had, had a problem doing it for a while, remember? So what happened was what, with Michael Strahan and the guys basically had to go in there and be like, yo, you have to ease up. This isn't going to work. Right. And he, did, he, made, he made those changes. That's what it's going to be like, I think, with Joe Judge. Now, the other thing that's working in his favor, name me the grizzled veterans on the Giants, guys, right. off the top of your head. Who do you got? Who do you got? Who are these grizzled veterans on the Giants team that Joe Judge is going to, you know, take off? Right, exactly. Gold, gold, Golden, Golden Tate. Tate? Yep, he's the one guy I'm thinking I mean, he's been there, what, a year? And, and how long is Golden Tate's future with the Giants? I mean, he's 31 years old, I think. Right. So, I mean, like, Golden Tate's not, not going to be around in two or three years. So, he's like a short-term, you know, if, if there's any problem with Golden Tate, he won't be on the team, right? But I'm not saying there is, but... He's like, there's very few guys like that on this roster. So they, that, that also works in his benefit. He doesn't have to deal with that. He, if he was taking over the Eagles roster, I don't think this approach would work. It would be big problems. Because the Eagles have a lot of veterans, a lot of guys that have been, uh, you know, in the NFL for a while. They've proven they have success. The Giants veterans are like uh, Nate Solder, who's opted out, okay, who already has been part of the Joe Judge and, and Bill Belichick. And Jason, you know, sorry, not Jason Garrett, but uh, Cameron Fleming is also another guy. He he's been with Joe Judge and Jason Garrett. You have Blake Martinez, who's been the middle linebacker for the Packers. You have uh, James Bradbury. Any of these guys have rings? Any of these guys gonna say, "Oh, I know what works in this league. I've been on teams that won Super Bowls before." Where's that guy? Jordan Rodon covers the Giants. So let me ask you this, then. I mean, their defense has been hideous the last couple of years. Joe Judge going to fix that? I mean, he's not a miracle worker here, Mike. Come on now. (laughs) (laughs) He can only do so much. I think they have a lot of pieces on the defense now. And by pieces, I don't mean like, all right, we have building blocks. To me, building blocks and useful pieces are two separate things, right? They don't have those building block guys in my mind yet. They don't have those guys. Name the guy on the Giants. I'm doing a lot of name the guy on the Giants because yeah. they don't. They don't. They're, they're not. They're not there. But name the guy on the Giants that when you're Game Jim, uh, not Jim, not Jim Church, when you're uh, Doug Peterson running the, the Eagles offense and you're game planning, you're sitting there saying, "We have to watch. We have to." plan for this guy, adjust for this guy, make sure this guy is blocked by two guys at all times or watching him, that, that guy doesn't exist right now. Like what? Uh, you know, Dexter Lawrence, good player. Like, he's going to be a really good player. Uh, but he's 350 pounds and he's not a national pass rusher. So, 
I mean, he's not going to play the nickel. He's not going to be on, on straight passing down. So you, you're worried about him? Like, you got the game plan for him? Probably not. Uh, Jabril Peppers scare you? James Bradbury? Blake Martinez? I mean, any of those guys? Got you... Uh, Got your attention yet, or what? Because so, that, those are the those are the top pieces on their defense, right? Oh, um, and, and it seems that uh, they're even though they've been bad the last couple of years, they still got a ways to go to fix at least uh, some of the problems on this team. But uh, it should be more interesting. I this think year. I think if they're eight and eight, you look at it and you say that's a really good season for this team. Okay, okay. Uh, Jordan Ronan covers the Giants, NFL Nation, ESPN. Of course, uh, we're looking at all the NFC East teams today. And uh, coming up next, we'll do Washington. But the Giants, 8-8, eight eight, ceiling, says Jordan Ronan. We appreciate it, pal. There's one the Giants might be better than, the Redskins. There you go. <laughs> it's the Washington <laughs> football man. team, man. Oh, my God, I did it. I, I did it. Not supposed to say that on uh, the slip. Uh, the Washington man. football team, that's going to take some getting used to for sure. Will, but I haven't messed up once yet. I'm going to make sure that I try not to. Jordan, good catch. I'm, I'm one for one messing up. There we go. I'm going to go run my lap, Mike. I'll see you later. Take off. Take off. <laughs> Jordan, run on like August, appeared via the Boardwalk Honda hotline. Sports Bash, uh, there's no place like your home, and you have – a leak or a roof called Dorothy Gale Roofing, 877-97-KEVIN. Visit them online at DorothyGale.com. He's off on a lap. Yeah, he should. He messed up. He is. Joe Judge, timing him. He should. All right, so uh, there's your Giants. Um, he said 8-8. Eight eight. That's yeah. a good season. Yeah, no doubt. He, he wasn't talking highly of some of these guys. You know I mean? Look, that's why when we were talking about this before he came on, what is great? Is 6-10 and 10 great for this team? When you look at their 4-12 and 12 last year, what should be the expectations? If he says 8-8 eight and eight would be classified as a, a very successful season, well, then I think 6-10 and 10 should be in play, right? Well, he's right. When, when you look at the depth chart on their defensive side of the ball, they got they got they they still got problems. Like, they've been drafting. He's right. They've been drafting in the top six, but they're drafting offensive players. Offensive line, they needed help there. They needed a quarterback. They got a wide I mean, uh, uh, the running back was Saquon Barkley. Uh, they went with Will Hernandez. I mean, they they've got they've added to that offensive side of the ball, but the defensive side of the ball. I mean, they got really nothing over there still. I used to, you know, you call him who, and he kind of alluded to it. Who's the game plan player? Like, if you're game planning against the Eagles, you're game you're putting a game plan together to, to to stop Fletcher Cox. You know, that's your guy. They don't have a guy on that side of the ball. You know what's interesting? You know how hard it is to sweep your division every year, and and the, it's not like the Eagles do because they have to play the Cowboys. But the fact that they beat the Giants every single year, both games. They beat the Redskins every single year, both games. That's kind of crazy. Even bad teams in the NFL, especially in your own division, at some point they win a football game, right? Like, they always talk about how hard it is to win in your own division. It's kind of crazy that the Eagles are easily just getting by these teams every single year. At some point, that's going to change. You would think, when's that flip? When's that going to happen? You know, he said that the Giants might be better than Washington, but when we talk to John Keim here in about eight minutes, I kind of think Washington is going to be intriguing. Now, their their big problem is the quarterback spot. Right, their defensive line, though. Their defense could keep them in games, and, you know, if you just – it's like um, if Haskins can make that jump. You know, like when McNabb was early in his career – the Eagles just basically said to him, like, hey, the defense will keep you in the game. Just make, like, a play or two. Just make, like, a play or two and, you know, see if we can win games like 17-3, you know, 2016, stuff like that. That's This Reds 
uh, Washington team, I think, is kind of intriguing. I almost got caught there. Why Why am I drawing a blank? Who just had this E60 with the knee injury? Uh, Alex Smith. Alex Smith. What, what do we feel about him this year? Is this definitely 100% Dwayne Haskins' team? John Kime will be joining us coming up, uh, and we'll ask him about that in about seven minutes from now. That's a good question. I mean, how viable is Alex Smith? You can get by with him. I mean, he can, he can win you games. Well, if he's healthy you know, and right, can play, exactly. sure. That's what I'm saying. Over a Dwayne Haskins, he's someone that... You know, could go out there, do his job. He's a professional. He's not an elite professional by any means, but he's your average quarterback that can go out there and make plays, and that's what a young team needs out there at times, a guy who is a professional that can get the job done. Well, so and I feel if healthy, he could do that. You bring, up the point, you bring up an interesting point. If, in fact, that if in fact Alex Smith can play, I don't know how you expect he's going to go out there. and win. I could be totally off base. He was cleared, so if he's cleared, why wouldn't he have a shot to win the job? And if he is cleared and he does win the job, does that make them a viable contender? Now, when you John Kime reported this today that he has not yet shown he's in position to really challenge for the quarterback job. Okay, which is a tough ask anyway, understanding the circumstances. But when you say, can they he's contend? He's 36 years old, too, oh, by the way. Yeah, no doubt. But when you say, can they contend, did you mean for the division? Like, what does that mean? Contend for what? A I mean, playoff spot. Wildcard team. I don't know if Alex Smith healthy gave them that type of... They won the division when he was the quarterback a couple years ago, did they not? Yeah, but now you have to beat this Cowboys team and this Eagles team. True. Uh, ESPN's John Kine will join us on the other side as we continue our NFC East. Now all this football talk has got I me know. I know. Look at me right now. Oh! <laughs> I'm ready to go. John Kime, ESPN next. Shut the fuck did they score? It's Flyers Playoff Hockey tomorrow on 97.3 ESPN and the free mobile app with Tim Saunders and Steve Coates calling all the exciting. ESPN FM. Hey, check out Frank Close's Phillies mailbag. It's up right now at 97.3 ESPN.com. He's answering questions on Matt Clintac, the trade deadline, and shading JT Real Muto. Huh? Gotta think about it, right? If you don't think you can sign them, then right? what are you gonna do? You might as well get prospects in return. You know the trade deadline is Monday. You excited? Yeah, I like the trade deadline. Looks like they can yeah, but you're not gonna see as many moves. It looks like they um committed to Vince Velasquez, by the way, in the bullpen. Thank God. Is that is that a thing? We didn't get God, a chance though? to really talk about the trades they made over the weekend. They got Workman, who looks like he's going to close now. It looks like Neris is out of the closer role. Yeah, he tried to work in that eighth inning over the weekend, and he did not do well. I don't know if I like Workman either. They're trying to put Hembury's a Hembury's now the best guy He looks got. good. <laughs> he looks good. It looks like they're trying to stick a Band-Aid on the issue. Uh, we're continuing our NFC East previews uh, with the Washington football team. John Kime covers Washington. We just talked to Jordan Ronan on the Giants and McManus earlier in the show and coming up later on tonight at 5.30, Todd Archer on the Cowboys. But let's go down I-95 and check in on the Washington football team as John Kime joins us now. I have not slipped up on the Washington football team yet, John. Uh, and if I do it in this conversation, well, shame on me. However, uh, we'll go to you. We were talking beforehand, and I know that um, uh, Alex Smith has been cleared. I guess the big question would be, is he in the mix at all out there? Oh, I don't put him in the mix. I, not that it's my decision, but he, I don't view him as in the mix for the starting quarterback's job at this point. He still has to show that, I mean, he's not even in 11 on 11 yet. So he's working nine on nine situations that, and you, you know, that's a good development for him. 
but they're going to be, they're definitely taking their time with it. And you only have a couple weeks left before the season starts. I just don't see how he could get up to that kind of game speed in that kind of, you know, in that short of a time, even though he's, you know, the veteran and all that. So this is Dwayne Haskins' job. He has to really go out and, and you know, um, do poorly for him, for him not to start. Now, and I just don't look at Alex Smith as a legitimate starting option at this point. He, again, he's, they won't know until he gets an 11-11, until he shows a suddenness in the pocket, they're not going to really know where is he really at. And so I think you know, we're, we're going through little stages and steps here to, to get to see what he can do. Now, we just asked Jordan you know, about the possibility that New York could be at one of those surprise teams. It always seems to be one that kind of doesn't have expectations and they sneak. Washington's got this great defense. I think we're all aware of that. But it comes down to the quarterback. They got the same situation there. Is Haskins uh, making enough strides that maybe they could surprise? Yeah, and I don't think I. It's hard to say because we have you know I think the lack of a preseason game, the lack of you know uh, seeing another uh, a joint practice. I think it prevents you from fully knowing it. And I will say, like, during – there are periods where he looks really good. And there he had a two-minute drive yesterday where he looked really good. He had some period red zone periods today where I thought he looked good. And then there are other times where, you know, he's sailing the ball here and maybe he's not as quite as sharp here or he had a – you know, he threw a pick six today because he was a little bit late on a ball, um, et cetera. But what they're harping on is decision-making. And he seems to have been pretty good in that area. And I will say – um, and this is a little plug for my podcast, the John Conn Report, but I was talking on my podcast the other day about one of the things that fans, I think, need to keep in mind is that a year ago with Dwayne Haskins, we're talking about can he call plays in the huddle? Does he know all the formations? And the answer was no, he did not. He couldn't. He struggled to call plays in the huddle. So now we're talking about a guy who's like light years ahead of where he was a year ago. So could he get to a point? I think he could, in terms of decision-making and consistency, I think he could. The question then becomes, do they have enough around him to really then pull him up and pull the team up? And that's where I, I, don't, I don't know that, you know, we certainly don't have that answer at this point. I think that's where it would be tough because there are questions on the offensive line and there are questions that, I think, you know, there are questions at receiver, definitely questions at tight end. I like the running back setup. I think if guys stay healthy, it could be it could be a fun group to watch. Um, but you know the skill spots, the other skill spots. I think there's a question marks all over. So that's where it's hard to really go there too far with them. How big of an impact is Ron Rivera going to be? And the news about his current medical issues popped up. How has the organization prepared in case something does happen uh, along those lines? Well, I think his impact can be pretty big. And this is a team, a franchise. God, it's so different right now because it's not just the coaching. It's not having Bruce Allen around. I think people, you know, I think there's just a breath of fresh air in this organization. Um, and I think part of that is Rivera and, and the, the way he's trying to run things. So I think he can have a big impact with the players and just – setting standards and, and getting guys to adhere to those standards. 
that sounds cliched, it's a big deal because I don't, you know, I think it's, it's what guys want. They wanted more discipline. I think he offers that. Um, so I think that's some of the stuff they want. I think he coaches with some passion. He'll get after guys after a practice. Like you don't hear him a ton during practice. You will hear him, but it's after practice when he's talking to him and going over stuff. He's definitely an overseer. So I think that's big um, for him. And then, so I think he can make an impact there definitely. And I think sometimes it's details, but I really think for him, it's about laying a foundation for not just this year, but future years. Cause he definitely has a, a um, big picture, um, long-term vision in mind. As far as the the plans go, when he can't be there, it's Jack Del Rio. Del Rio will take over if and when Rivera can't make it. And I think they know. I mean, he's telling he'll tell the players that he doesn't. You know, he told us he doesn't expect to miss any time. Well, the reality is they do know and do believe that he would miss some time at some point now the question is is it just during the week is it a wednesday is it a thursday whether it would stretch into game day i think they're more looking at midweek stuff right now and as you know he's going to be getting five treatments uh, a week for seven weeks it's a lot and what he knows that by the middle to end of the week it's going to take a toll that's when del rio may need to step in and take over and the one benefit for rivera or for the team is that Rivera, again, is the overseer. So I think the fact that, like, if he has to step away, the fact that the players are going to have the same voices in the meetings, the same coordinators, the same position coaches, that's not going to change. I think that helps. So, you know, they wouldn't get the overall team message. They could get that from Del Rio, but just their daily preparation will, will stay the same. So that's, that, I think that will benefit them. John Keim, uh, finishing up on Washington here, we all heard about this defense uh, how good is it? You know, I I would say this, and I think any Washington fan, if they happen to be listening, will say the same thing. We've heard this before, right? They, you know, for the last couple of years, like, their defense is going to be better, and then they're not. But I do think that this group um, can be a lot better because of their defensive front and adding Chase Young. So they have, you know, they have four, they have, Chase Young, Ryan Kerrigan, Deron Payne, um, Jonathan Allen, all, Montez Sweat, all former, or not all former, they all were number one first-round draft picks. It's a lot of talent up there. And I think, you know, I think then they go into a 4-3. I think that's going to suit some of these guys better. Montez Sweat, I think you'll see a difference in him because he's not going to be thinking as much when he had to play a 3-4 outside linebacker last year. So there's talent there. The question then becomes, how is the back seven going to do? We're not quite sure exactly what the setup is going to be at inside at linebacker. I think it'll be some combination of Thomas Davis, Cole Holcomb, and then either a John Bostic or Sean Dion Hamilton in the middle, something like that. And then the secondary. Now they've been pretty pleased with their corner play um, with the, in training camp, and I think it's, it could be. I don't know. You don't have a star there, but I think you have some guys who who are who should be pretty solid out there. Ron Darby among them. Um, but again, stay healthy. So I think I think it has potential to be a lot better. I'm not going to use the word great with this group yet because you got to go out and do that. And I think they know that, but they do have some really good potential. I still look at this group as, like again, laying a foundation. I think you know, I could see them creeping up in close to the top ten as far as statistics go, maybe even getting in there. But I think the following year is when you really probably can start to build something even better. It's our old buddy Ron Darby out there. Forgot about that. John Kime covers the Washington football team, ESPN's NFL Nation. Check out his podcast, The John Kime Report, uh, at John underscore Kime, K-E-I-M. And he, like all guests, appeared via the Boardwalk Honda 
hotline. We'll go to Dallas in the 5 o'clock hour. John, appreciate the time. Thanks for having me on, guys. And uh, we'll have to catch up more with John as we get closer to the season because there's a lot of questions about that. He mentioned the fact that Bruce Allen's not there. The ownership group is, uh, you know, uh, fluctuating. They had to change the name. You know, they had to drop the name. They haven't changed the name. How that has affected just um, the overall atmosphere out there. He said it's just so different just not having Bruce Allen out there. So can that be a big difference maker for this team? I think that's an intriguing storyline for the old uh, Washington football team. Absolutely, yeah. It'll be interesting to see how they come out. Uh, they had to change their identity a bit. We knew it. It was uh, a mess in Washington. Uh, I just don't know, you know, how long that takes. How long does it take for Ron Rivera's impact to really be implemented on this team? Does it happen year one? Is it more of a longer-term process? Those are the questions that we're waiting to hear the answers to.